Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hot or hype that the blockchain is going to radically disrupt how we think about energy transaction? I really believe at the end of the day, solar is the disruptor here. Solar enables blockchain. Mm. And I do believe that we're going to see more and more energy trading, commercial and residential users. It's still many, many years out. The solar coin philosophy. Yes, yes. Uh. It's not, you know, it's going to take for how, how that's done and, and so on. But I do believe that it's real and I think it's going to happen. But again, I, I really see solar as, and, and, and solar primary and actually storage secondary, mm-hmm. true key enablers of enabling anything like blockchain. And it, it really augments that and makes it better and stronger, but doesn't really disrupt things. Like, like I said, like I think solar and storage are really the, the, the true disruptors. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and actions shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Welcome, welcome, Solar Warriors, back to episode 63 of Suncast. I am your host, Nico Johnson, and I'm so glad that you're back again this week. I hope that you enjoyed last week's episode with Oleg Popovsky pushing the envelope on commercial finance. We got a lot of great feedback, and it is clear that many of you are interested in commercial solar. So I'll try to work in more content geared around that. Would you let me know on LinkedIn or email who you'd like to see or what kind of topics in particular around commercial solar projects or or where, how many of you in Latin America are looking at this, how many of you are in the U.S. looking at this. It really helps me tailor the content. I'll also finally be releasing another Tactical Tuesday next week. And this one is all about innovation in solar panel technology. I'm answering some timely questions like, what the heck is Perk Mono and why does bifacial all of a sudden matter again? These are fitting given today's guest as well. So don't miss next Tuesday's episode to tune up your skills. Well, today's episode is going to plumb the depths of the entrepreneurial journey with a CEO of a U.S. solar module manufacturer who's had his share of failure and success, and most certainly understands how to cross that chasm. Today on Suncast, I have the incredible pleasure of sitting down with Suvi Sharma, CEO of Solaria Corporation. Suvi joined Solaria in 2003 and recruited a world-class management team. He's developed partnerships with industry-leading solar companies, and he's raised close to $200 million from strategic financial investors. Suvi is a seasoned entrepreneur, no doubt about it, and 20 years of experience in company formation, fundraising, talent recruitment, biz dev, and global operations for innovative companies in renewable energy and IT and private equity backstop the level of conversation that we have today about how his journey has evolved. Heck, this guy's even been mentioned in Peter Thiel's book, often referenced here by many entrepreneurs, the book Zero to One. If you look at the blog, you'll see a link to chapter 13 
which is called Seeing Green. Suvi's a true industry thought leader. I got a visit with Suvi in the Solaria headquarters in Fremont, California, and actually get to see what they're up to right now. And I also got to really dig into the experience of a CEO who gave his job to Dan Sugar, then took it back after they spun Next Tracker out of Solaria. Solaria has a very interesting story as a U.S. panel manufacturer, and it's been amazing to see how they've survived when so many others have not. And not just survived, but they just raised another $23 million to pursue their newest innovation, architectural PV glass. Just wait till you see this glass. I posted a picture over on the blog. Be sure to check that out along with a bunch of other useful links. So Suvi and I dig into these and other technologies they've developed and much more in this interview. And I encourage you to stick around for the life lessons section at the end. I definitely became a huge fan of this man after our meeting. And I look forward to seeing how they navigate this new and well-funded pivot in Solaria's growth. As always, if there's a topic or expert you think should be on Suncast, just shoot me an email, a LinkedIn message, or even just pop over to the website and leave me a quick voicemail. That website again is mysuncast.com. Huge thank you, last of all, to Susan DeVico for helping make this interview possible with Suvi. She is a PR superstar right there in the San Fran Bay area. This episode is brought to you in partnership with soulrates.com, the fast and free online platform for providing your commercial customers with a credible lease financing proposal. If you have projects over 100,000 in value and you'd like to see how soulrates can help you quickly and easily deliver a financing proposal to your customers, do as some of your colleagues have done and head over to mysuncast.com forward slash S-O-L-R-A-T-E-S, mysuncast.com forward slash soulrates. And click on that request an invitation button. All right. Thanks again for setting aside this time in your day, your week, your year. Hope that you enjoy this week's episode of Suncast with Suvi Sharma. Once again, have the chance to sit down with Mr. Suvi Sharma of Solaria. And I know that you guys continue to grow and we continue to see change and evolution in the solar market. So Suvi, welcome back to Suncast. Thank you. Good to be back. So we'll just start in the same beginning that I tend to start with others. And that is, if you could take me back to the very beginning of your career, and I'm not talking about your solar career, I really want to understand you're coming out of college, you've gotten maybe your first, maybe it's your second job, and you have decided that it's time to leave and move on to a more important step in your career. What was the catalyst for leaving that first job, and how did you know that it was time to move on? Well, my first job I got to in a very roundabout way to begin with. After college, most people were looking for a job that I knew at consulting firms or uh, companies or started going to graduate school, and I decided to go on a one-way trip to India to do rural development work there. And then came back about a year later and just so happened to get a job at a venture capital firm and worked there for a few years in the New York area. But I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, that's what really struck me and my passion. And so that's what I, I did and moved out to California to do that. What do you mean you wanted to be an entrepreneur? You had this notion, was there a business that you wanted to emulate? Was there a spark of an idea that you said, I could do that too? 
You know, it was more of just wanting to start something that I wanted to do and believed in. I had started an organization at Northwestern University. I went to college for students there to go teach in inner city Chicago schools when there was a real school crisis mm. and built it up. And that just, to that point, the highlight of what I had done. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was entrepreneuring, but not in business, but in, in a social cause. And so that's what I wanted to do again, really create something from nothing. I found that very exciting and energizing. Throughout your career, you've been a catalyst for business model innovation. How has that influenced the types of businesses that you've tried to start? The first thing is, I think it starts with really something that one that I'm passionate about or really interested in. Fundamentally, it's there's no matter what, when you start something, you're going to have a ton of challenges, a lot of rejections, a lot of things that go wrong, a lot of problems. And so what gets me through the day is that excitement of what we can create, something I really believe in. That's still very important to me today in terms of what I do and how I've guided Solaria and what I focus on is that raw feeling of, you know, getting up out of bed, being excited. Doesn't mean every day you do that, but in general, that's that adrenaline that I think one needs to really make these companies and startups successful. The idea of facade solar is nothing new, but Solaria is an innovator around high efficiency and being able to extract more energy out of every square millimeter on the surface, right? Tell me about the innovation that you guys have brought to harvesting energy from all, all kinds of surfaces and how that's made its way into architectural solar for you. We are a big believer, number one, that the beauty of solar is that it can be literally everywhere. It can be ubiquitous. And there's no other energy source like that. You know, most energy sources you have to dig out of a ground, burn into uh, steam, turns a turbine, turns a magnet, gets sent through wires. Solar is literally, you can put it anywhere. You can put it on a rooftop. You can put it on the ground in a desert. You can put it on a watch, on a calculator, right? Mm -hmm. You can put it everywhere. And so the solar everywhere concept is something that we very much believe in. It's funny, people always look for what is disruptive in solar. Actually, solar is disruptive itself in <laughs> right. the energy mix. And so that's our fundamental belief. So we want to make it better and we want to make it even more ubiquitous. We want to make it more efficient, more cost-effective, more beautiful, and more applicable to the living world that we're in. So for example, in the residential rooftop, really what we focused on is high efficiency, getting the highest per square foot, yeah. and also the most visually appealing solar panel. And that's very important because when you think about a homeowner, they want the best product on their, they want something to represent themselves in their house and what people can see. So for us, it's aspirational, but also it should be cost-effective and practical. And that's really what we try to combine, aspirational mm -hmm. with cost-effective and practical. So if you look at solar today, solar is about almost 100 gigawatts a year. This year has become globally the single largest form of new power generating capacity right. in the world. And then if you take a step back and you look at all the flat glass that's produced in the world, all the glass, not the bottles that we drink beer out of, but the flat glass, 2% goes in solar panels, yeah. okay, which is phenomenal, which is a right. lot now from literally zero 20 years ago, 80% goes into buildings. Fenestration. Yeah. So yeah. 40 times the amount of glass that's used in solar panels today, 100 gigawatts a year goes into buildings. The efficiency, the solar efficiency of those, of that glass is zero. Yeah. So what our goal is there is actually we're making building integrated glass products that are half the efficiency of a standard solar panel because they allow light through and allow uh, vision and transparency, mm. but much, much more efficient than what exists today, which is basically glass that's that I call dumb. It doesn't produce right. any electricity. The other thing is just by having the solar cells embedded in that glass fenestration products, you get a tremendous increase in the 
efficiency of the building aside from even the solar power generation. If you think about silicon cells, silicon is a ceramic. It's a great, one of the best insulators. And so it absorbs a lot of the heat and glare uh, and it creates better energy efficiency in the building. And so that's really what we see is there's going to be a sea change that hopefully we can be both leaders and a part of, which is where buildings, the question will be no longer how or should I put solar into my building skins? The question will become, we believe, and what we hope to to achieve is the question will be, why would I not put solar into my building skin? So explain to me how, well, I have a couple of questions on this. One, the idea of solar infenestration or solar replacing glass in the curtain walls is not new. They've been doing it in Europe and certainly in China. They've rolled out probably a gigawatt or more of, of facade solar why is now the time where it's cost effective or is it something that is unique to Solaria? So that's one question. And the second is differentiate for me your technology or technology similar to it from, say, nearby, right? Dynamic glass mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that does create benefit for a building, even if it's not harnessing the sun's energy. I presume there's probably some integration there, but could you just tackle those two questions for me? Sure. First of all, the actual installed market, the installed capacity of solar facades, uh, in our estimation, is less than 50 megawatts globally. Wow. It's nothing. There are reports out there that talk about, you know, it's a multi-gigawatt market, but mm-hmm. actually it's not. And, and the reason is that a lot of times what's called, what's really building attached it's like a is, skin. Yes, or you just put, you know, sometimes even, believe it or not, even in China, they call it building integrated because there's special subsidies, but it's really not. It's an awning um, or something. It's, yeah, it's just on top of okay. a, an existing structure. So the, the actual current market is less than 50 megawatts total installed capacity in the world. And, and we've talked a lot of the glass. We work with large glass companies, Pilkington and Asahi, the two largest glass companies in the world. And they, they've given us numbers of what they've installed and what they've seen. And so we've, we've done our analysis that shows that it's, it's less than 50 megawatts wow. globally. The potential, as I mentioned, is huge. The yeah. issue is creating products that are, number one, produce a decent amount of efficiency while allowing enough light transmission. Second is that are reliable and durable. And that's why we believe crystal and silicon is the technology of choice for that. Because the solar panels are warranted for 25 years. Building fenestration, you don't want to mess with it for 50 years. So you really need something that's very reliable, cost effective. But also it has to be visually appealing. And that's where most of the technologies that are efficient and cost effective um, are not uh, visually appealing. So if you think about square silicon solar cells, they put them in a checkerboard fashion. That's not something that most people want to look at. And it's not something architects are going to adopt and adapt into their building right. uh, structures. So what we focus a lot on is leveraging the efficiency and, and cost effectiveness, but really making products that that are visually appealing and that that uh, that provide the type of environment that people would want to look at and be in. And so, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you're looking at one of our products where you wouldn't necessarily think it's a solar panel. Um, In fact, people ask me, how is this a solar panel? And that's the whole idea is it really, we want to change that thought process of what is a solar panel. What's unique about the technology that we've developed is we have perfected the art or science of taking solar cells and cutting them into smaller pieces. Yeah. And when you cut them into smaller pieces, you can start to reconfigure new types of products with different aesthetics, electrical performance and characteristics, and more customizability into a building skin. 
And those elements are absolute requirements that we're going to break to mass market on, on, on buildings. So we haven't seen any other technologies that quite offer that, that are ready to scale today. A lot of the new technologies that try to do that, new materials, organic polymers, for example, which are interesting, but you know their efficiency is very low and their durability is unproven. Mm-hmm. So they're technologies that could be commercialized in the next 10 to 20 years. And we always like to look out for those. And we would be very interested in working with those as they come to fruition. Mm-hmm. But they're really in the lab today. Uh, what we have is a manufacturing technology that works. It's proven. We've deployed it. And it's being deployed in, in, in larger scale, but it's still small today. The other thing that I think is important beyond the technology and the products itself is really opening up the financing channels. Just like solar, what really opened up solar was not only the products and the technology and the cost reductions and efficiency improvements, but also uh, being able to finance the projects and, 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 and informing and educating the banks and the developers about uh, why solar was a good place to invest and, and a good place to lend money to. And so what we've started doing more recently is, 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 is starting to engage with the real estate developers, the owners, the, the, the financiers, because fundamentally, this is an asset. If you think about a facade, uh, it does not generate any revenue. No. But by putting solar in it, now it's an, not only an energy generating, but actually an income generating asset. And yeah. so that's the key, we believe, in addition to the product and the technology to unlock solar in the building skin. Yeah, but you have to back, it's back to square one of defining the value proposition. Everyone said, yeah, well, when I can generate electricity from solar for the same price that I can buy it from PG&E, then it'll be a no-brainer. And so the unfortunate piece is that because there's no analog, uh, there's no equivalent for this and uh, the developer's uh, business model or, or framework or financial model, uh, you have a lot, and I'm sure you've done it, but you have a lot of work to do on the financial side of really understanding the customer journey of how they're going to go from transitioning a, a non-asset into an asset when I presume this costs more than traditional glass. Yes, absolutely. And that is the key challenge, actually. The thing is that because the the building industry is is so large, I've started focusing on who are the early adopters mm-hmm. of this? And, and the early adopters are really the ones that already have solar on their building and that see the value of it on the rooftop. Companies like Google is a great example. Mm-hmm. They own a lot of their buildings. They've put solar on them. However, they still are moving towards trying to be 100% renewable. And a lot of these types of building owners are also wanting to have net zero energy buildings for several reasons. One is it meets their their uh, renewables targets mm-hmm. in terms of their, their corporate vision and social responsibility, but also uh, they're trying to reduce their overall operating costs. And when you have net zero energy buildings, you can reduce your net operating costs. Most buildings, commercial buildings in particular, it's almost impossible to get to a net zero energy building with only rooftop solar. You yeah. have to have it in the building skin. And so those, and but, and but because you have rooftop solar, you understand the value of it, you understand the payback period. And so then it's a matter of, of working with them and, and educating them of how they can also do that on the perimeter, the skin of the building, in addition to the rooftop. Does it change the R value of the building? Absolutely. For the part that you have the solar sure. facade, yes. We did a quite intensive study with GSA, which is one of the largest real estate owners in, in the U.S., part of the federal government. And they did a study uh, that they sponsored at Lawrence Berkeley Lab. They have a flex lab, which is one of the world leading building technology labs. And that's where they measured, aside from the power generation, just putting that aside for a minute, just having solar in there reduced HVAC load by 18% in a place like California because of having solar embedded into the into the laminated glass, which yeah. is a great insulator. So, and, and it's because inherently you're putting it on the side that has the most solar gain. Yes. 
So you're reducing the passive energy going through the building. That's correct. That's yeah. exactly right. So and so forth. And the typical coverage is around forty to fifty percent mm-hmm. uh, with with solar in there. And so that's enough to make a substantial difference in, in the solar heat gain coefficient. Wow, that's remarkable. How close are you to full-scale manufacturing? The manufacturability is is there. It's flex manufacturing, so you're ready to... Yeah, the manufacturing of the of the silica technology itself and the panels, we have already deployed that in our previous products okay. and our current products. It's really more of a, a market adoption. Mm. That's the bottleneck uh, that we're working to solve. Your manufacturing panels for the rooftop, take me to the point where you're in a meeting and it becomes clear to you that you need to make a, an addition to your product line, not necessarily a pivot for the company, to take on this architectural glass. Like you're a startup. You're a startup that's well-funded, you're profitable, and you've got, you've got a track record, but this is a gamble. Help me understand the thought process of an entrepreneur saying, okay, this makes sense for us, even though we are going to be out front a lot of arrows in our back. I mean, you took a lot of arrows in the back at Solaria. Well, first of all, you know, necessity is a mother of invention. What happened was... About four years ago, Solaria uh, went through tough times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had commercialized and deployed a product that used less silicon cell material than standard panels. But with cheap panels from China in particular flooding the market, we could not compete with, with that. So we had to, at that point in time, pivot the company. And we had developed uh, very interesting core technologies in the company. One was the tracker technology that we ended up financing and spinning out, which became Next Tracker for the utility scale market. In addition, we had developed technology to make our previous product, which was cutting of solar cells, handling of those cut cells, making unique panels and configurations with them. We, we, we developed seminal IP in that area mm. and capabilities and automation and equipment that became the best in the world at doing that. So when I took a step back and I said, can this be applied in new areas or applications? There is real value add to do this. That's where we started looking at how do we develop application-specific products, but that address a market in a much fundamentally better way than what existing solar panels do. And at that time, we identified areas. One was making a higher efficiency, sleek, more uh, visually appealing panel for rooftops, building integrated panels Mm -hmm. uh, for facades and fenestration systems. at that time, uh, it, we, we were faced at that time, and I was faced at that time, the conventional wisdom was pick one and focus on it and, and do that. I decided to go ahead and try and uh, do both. In particular, focus first on the rooftop as our core product, but, but incubate a second business opportunity for the future, which is the building integrated. And I had an employee group and management team and investor base that, that was open to doing that. But a lot of it is really just personal vision of that this is important and we have an opportunity. Many of us, when we were developing the the initial module using less silicon and we developed our own tracker, we thought, let's not do this. Trackers, we don't need to do trackers. We've got the panel. We decided to incubate that. We ended up creating the market-leading tracker as a result. And I believe that we will end up also creating the market-leading products for building integrated solar. So Solaria is a unique company, I think, in the industry in that we're both a company that develops technology, commercializes, and can scale, but also in a way we're an incubator and incubate new technologies. We even have other ideas that you know we just have right now put on the shelf because we need to to focus uh, an example another example is a company that we ended up investing in called Soli Culture and they do greenhouse solar panels which are specifically to replace standard glass a roof on a greenhouse mm-hmm. with panels that produce electricity from uh, the cells in them that utilize our our special cell cutting technology but also convert much of the green light that's not useful for the plants 
to red light, which the plants can use. So the plants get the same amount of useful light, but you also produce energy so you can create net zero energy greenhouses. Now, this is a product I believed in, we liked, but we decided better invest in a company that's focusing on that application and can really develop that and let them be specialists and win that as opposed to Solaria doing it ourselves. Do you invest as IP or do you invest money? We invested money and then we also invest in terms of supporting them with the technology yeah. to enable the product. Right. So it was a strategic equity investment as well as investment in kind, if you will, for our technology. It's very interesting. It's like the ideal labs of, uh, of large scale solar. <laughs> on, a, on a smaller scale, basically because we see so many opportunities right now for solar opening up. You know, the solar cell itself has become a, a very low cost commodity yeah. uh, and it's an enabler. Yeah. And But with that, I believe that if you look today, solar has grown 300x in the last 12 years, which is phenomenal. But we're still at the tip of the iceberg. Today, solar solar PV provides less than half a percent of the total energy generation in the world. So the the room is huge, but but we have to think differently than before. We have to think, how do we incorporate this into, again, how to make solar more ubiquitous and incorporate into different products and applications that it doesn't exist in well today? Because you're an investor and you are investing. You see companies like this that are on the leading edge. What are business models that you think won't stand the test of time that, that you think in 5, 10, 15 years, there are entrepreneurs right now that are breaking them and the, that we will see them kind of fade away? Well, I think one of the, one of the areas that uh, we're already seeing um, in general is um, for residential solar as a leasing model. Uh-huh. If you look back three years ago, you had three leading residential solar installers that represented 85% of the market and, they were the, and 90% of their business was leasing uh, systems on, on, on the rooftop. Now, more than 50, uh, close to 60% of systems are owned, not leased. And I believe that it will switch to probably 85, 90%. It doesn't mean there won't be any leasing and there won't be any companies. And I believe we're already starting to see that. Uh, companies like um, Solar City are small, are doing. Actually, I just saw their Tesla's recent quarterly report, and now they're doing more owned systems right. than lease systems. Mm. So we've seen a lot of the financing entities around leasing and all that have gone away or, or are small versions of their right. former self. I think fi- you know financing is uh, and financing innovations are important, but eventually there's a Darwinian aspect where certain ones take hold. So 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 we believe that we're going to see a winnowing down of those. I think on the solar hardware side, you know, there's a lot of solar panel producers and there's going to be more and more consolidation. Yeah. There's going to be a flight to quality. And I think there's going to be a flight towards companies that win certain parts of the market segment and others that don't. So I think the, you know, the, the concept... By Martin's market segment, you mean like resi versus... Residential, you know, and even within residential and, you know, within geographies, uh, you yeah. know, certain products make more sense, um, you know, in Japan versus right. here. And special, specialization, I believe... Yeah is key. The other area, which is probably uh, more controversial, is I believe that a lot of the the leading, we're already starting to see this, you know, if you look four or five years ago, uh, there were four very big vertically integrated solar companies in the U.S. They're either going away, have gone away, starting to, re- to, 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 to become much smaller in the grand scheme of things. Because again, as the industry grows bigger, specialization wins. Mm-hmm. So trying to do everything from silicon projects, to utility, commercial, residential, trying to boil an ocean is going to be very difficult as this industry matures. And those four, just so I'm clear, were Sun Edison, Sun Power, Sun Power First Solar, and Solar City, and Solar City. Yeah. Okay, the, gotcha. um, you know, so those were though. If you look back at you know analyst reports for the, those were the big four right. that everyone talked about being the leaders. Right. 
in the industry, right. and, and really they they've all lost market share. Oh yeah, um, and really and some I mean, have gone away. Purposes only two completely yes. are are still yeah. with us. Yeah. Well, and I mean, in light of that, there is going to be consolidation. There is uncertainty right now in the U.S. market, in particular. One of the things that I'm curious about with regard to Solaria and manufacturing, I know that you guys have uh, innovated a lot around manufacturing technology and IP. That IP could be leveraged to manufacture here in the United States. We're currently seeing the ramifications of uh, a needless trade case that that might, uh, in the short term, benefit manufacturing locally. How do you view manufacturing at scale for Solaria to be able to compete both uh, in the resi solar space as well as the um, the architectural space, as well as in the architectural space? We'll so first of all, the fundamental step in that is in which part of the, the value chain do we manufacture product? Mm. I believe making the solar cell or anything before it, business that's best left to incumbents. Mm -hmm. Um, It requires a huge amount of infrastructure, capital expenditure, capabilities, know-how, scale, et cetera. So we don't get involved in in what we call the the really upstream part of the um, manufacturing supply chain. So we we focus on after the the solar cell. What that means, that allows us to to spend both our R&D money, but also our capital investments into making the final product. It's, it's, it's really sophisticated assembly technology. Sorry, I don't understand because what I'm looking at doesn't look like something that is manufactured out of China right now in terms of right. solar cells. So then I presume that you license the IP that you have around solar cell manufacturing or the cutting? No, we, we purchase the solar cells I see. and then we cut them. I see. So when you look at our so product- it's assembly- it, Yes. That's, yes. It's a yeah. It's, it's IP an assembly. It's an assembly, assembly uh, technology. Got it. Uh, and a product design technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, when when people see our products, it looks like we don't use regular solar cells, right. but we do. We just cut them. Now there are some changes specifications on the solar cell, the design of the the, the pattern on the cell that's custom and patented by us. And we give that to the cell manufacturer, but it's a final step in the process. Right. Much like in semiconductors, if you look at the who really won for the most part in the semiconductor business was Fabulous companies. Right. Fabulous semiconductor companies. What they did is they had certain specifications on the semiconductor device level they would give to the big manufacturers of these wafers. Right. And then they would make the final product like an integrated circuit. So we view ourselves the same way. Purchase the 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 solar cell, mm. uh, which is really where most of the capital intensity is. Yeah. But with our specification, mm. then we take that, we then cut it, and then we reformulate new types of products with it. So our capital investment in R and D is really on the on the product de- on, a, on a new fundamentally a new product development that touches a final end user. Do you then manufacture that here in the United States or? We do. We manufacture here in the U.S. as well as in South Korea. Okay. We recently established an expansion here where we added a new production line. We did that before 201 filing and all, just because a big part of our market is here in the U.S. Okay. So we believe that it was important to make product here for a number of reasons. We see uh, scaling up quite a bit in the next uh, few years in U.S., as well as in Asia. Uh, so we have a dual strategy of, of production where we believe it makes sense to produce more and more in both locations. For the residential market, do you feel like 201A is going to be a benefit near term for you guys? It's something that's going to give you a hedge of protection with that manufacturing line and give you some a run room? Not really. Uh, I mean, we, we have a very strongly competitive business today without 201. Gotcha. Um, and we set up a supply chain where we're not making product in China. We're not sourcing the, the core cells or modules in China. So we can bring in product here that's duty-free, tariff-free today. Okay. 
and we can compete. Uh, so for us, we look at 201 as it looks like it's going to happen. How do we ensure that our manufacturing and supply chain, uh, we can still deliver product uh, into the market here cost effectively. So give me, help me understand, just on the residential product, let's talk about the U.S. residential market. Help me understand how your product competes with some of the incumbents, the, the relative scale. I mean, we've got, we'll call them like the, the Sun Powers, which are the, the super high efficiency, even, you know, other Chinese players like Seraphim who have super high efficiency product, all of the monoperk products that are coming out. Can you help me in terms of power density so that the listener would understand the scale that you're talking about or what you bring to a residential rooftop in comparison? So first of all, let me take a step back. We really compete on three things. Mm -hmm. The first is power density. The second is aesthetics. And the third is quality product. And those three, all three are really important mm -hmm. in terms of the, the value proposition to the customer. Sorry, and I'm, I'm going to interject it. I think that's exactly what SunPower competes on as well, Yes. Right? The fourth thing, though, that we compete on is uh, cost competitiveness. Right. And what SunPower has is a great product. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, it's fairly high priced mm -hmm. in the market relative to other Agreed. panels, and so therefore its its market size is limited uh, to really customers that either have very space constrained roofs, yep. or that want a SunPower product because right. of the brand. They have they a great brand to the brand, yeah, yep. and they've done a really nice job with building a dealer network yep. around around that that product and brand. We have a different approach. Are looking at this as as very much going into the mainstream. Okay. residential channel, but with a better product. So we sell primarily through distribution. Okay, And then the distributors that then sell, our distribution partners sell the product to installers. Who are some uh, of the distributors dealers. that you're working with? So the ones we've announced are Soligent, Fortune Energy, mm -hmm. and Renview, okay. amongst uh, some of the other distributors. So really, we focus so far on distributors that are really focused on the solar vertical and application. And they tend to provide this to their customers, a product that uh, can compete with the highest efficiency, best products out there. And so in terms of power density, today, the power of the module versus the leading uh, power module in the industry in residential sun power, very similar power okay. output. The difference is they make their own solar cell, uh -huh. uh, back contact solar cell to do it. We, we use standard solar cells with a unique uh, assembly process right. to do it. But the, the market is plenty big right now for all of us to yeah. coexist and keep growing, actually. Today, if you look at the size and scale we're at, we're not taking market share away from anyone. But we are part of the, the growth that's going on in, in the industry that's happening. Fantastic. I feel like we could continue down this rabbit trail. I could ask a lot of questions geeking out about your go-to-market strategy. That's not what this episode is about. And I do appreciate that, even, uh, that you've humored uh, the last 15 minutes or so of me digging into your business model. I'm, I feel like given the pivots that we've mentioned around Solaria, it's good to be able to clarify one-on-one -on -one with the CEO of the company, the thought process behind how this company uh, still is, is not just surviving, but thriving and uh, finding new outlets for your technology, your IP, and not just existing, but growing your engineering base and your IP and your influence in the industry. So I appreciate that. We're going to jump in uh, perhaps as a, a bit uh, a bit non sequitur, but into a segment I call hot or hype. And so the first I'll start with distributed storage. And by that, I mean storage connected with residential and CNI level grid stabilization and, and demanders. I think it's hot. Um, I think on the commercial side in particular, we've, we've seen a lot more and more um, commercial customers uh, putting storage in, either buying it or there's third-party companies that, uh, that, that provide it. Um, the area that I'm personally more interested in is on the residential side. Uh -huh. uh, I feel like we have not seen 
anywhere near the uh, sophisticated products and absorption. An area that at Story we're very interested in is how to really evolve from being a solar provider to a complete solution provider where homeowners can really have and benefit from a good storage solution. Yeah. So how about the idea then, uh, moving along, this notion of plug and play? It's been a re- the idea of plug and play has been around a long time, uh, but... Uh, is it hot or hype that we'll get? We're getting to the point where uh, an, a homeowner could really just buy off-the-shelf residential system and and deploy it themselves. I mean, the, the true nature of plug-and-play. I think that that what I would call hype. Uh, I think <laughs> it, I think it's there are always going to be uh, do-it-yourself people that yeah. can get that and put it together. But uh, this is a this is a electrical product. There's high voltage going on at the inverter level. Uh, it's sophisticated. Uh, I believe that this will continue to be a installer led. Again, there's always a niche market. Call it, you know, one percent. That's that's going to be plug and play, do it yourself. But but we see it's it's really the um, uh, you know people don't put in their own air conditioners. People don't put in their own hot water heaters. Uh, this is a, a a case same here for specialist installers to really do and provide for the homeowner. Very well, appreciate it. So let's move on to uh, the likelihood for a nationwide carbon tax. Hot or hype? I wish we could do that. I, I don't see it right now mm-hmm. uh, coming. And so while I believe that it would be a great solution, and actually there's many businesses that believe it's a great solution. It mm-hmm. provides great visibility. Even even some oil companies believe it's a great solution. It just yeah. provides visibility. But it's hard to see that happening yeah. in the current political so environment. So sadly, neither hype nor hot. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, neither <laughs> one. <laughs> hope. hope. Yeah, hope. Yeah, hope. yeah, maybe we need a third category. There we go. We, gotta, we're, we keep adding, keep <laughs> modifying this from, from, from the original hot or not. How, how about the blockchain, hot or hype, that the blockchain is going to radically disrupt how we think about energy transaction? I really believe at the end of the day, solar is the disruptor here. Solar enables blockchain. Mm. And I do believe that we're going to see more and more energy trading, commercial and residential users. It's still many, many years out. The solar coin philosophy. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. It's not, you know, it's going to take for how, how that's done and, and so on. But I do believe that it's real and I think it's going to happen. But again, I, I really see solar as, and, and, and solar primary and actually storage secondary, mm-hmm. true key enablers of enabling anything like blockchain. And it, it really augments that and makes it better and stronger, but doesn't really disrupt things like, like I said, like I think solar and storage are really the, the, the true disruptors. Sure, here. and I don't throw this out there for just anyone, only for folks I think actually understand uh, how where the terminology comes from. Uh, but following your wonderful elaboration on blockchain, what has you most excited right now about where the solar industry is going? You've been in this industry for a while. What paradigm shifts with regard, with regard to solar and, so I'll say solar plus, are you most excited about? And I'm going to say with exception of uh, fenestration, architectural mm-hmm, solar, mm-hmm, because we spent mm-hmm. quite a bit of time talking mm-hmm. about that. So, uh, you know, to me, the, 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 the key in, you know, in general in terms of what we're doing is, is really opening up applications in a, in a better way. And so we've spoken to that, but I'll, mm-hmm. I'll step uh, a little bit beyond that. Really two things that uh, I'm very excited about. One is just cost effective or cheap. It has become uh, all throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we are seeing massive solar deployments. Every year, you know, analysts come out with, uh, here's our aggressive scenario, here's our conservative scenario, and solar tends to be higher than the aggressive scenario in terms of its, its growth rate. So just as its cost, cost effectiveness, tremendous. I mean, if you look at in India, for example, you know, to me, that says it all. India is deploying now more solar than coal. Mm. Okay, 
we Indians, I'm, I'll say this because I mean, we're cheap. We're not going <laughs> to waste money. I mean, it's, it's, it's just very cost effective. And so that, that in and of itself, I think is really exciting because energy is a commodity. Uh, and, so, um, and so it's going to continue to grow as a result. And it's going to keep getting more and more cost effective and, and, uh, compared to other energy solutions. The second thing that I see that happening is, is, is low cost storage. Uh, I think that is a fundamental sea shift. Obviously, in electric cars, it is. Yeah. And the combination, you know, when, when I got into this, I really felt like three things really fundamentally mattered in our energy. Solar, storage, and electric cars. Yeah. And those three and the, the interface of those three fundamentally reshifts how we consume, produce energy. And, and, I, and you see that happening. You know, I, I see what happened with solar cell production and, and, and how cheap it got. We're seeing the same thing is starting to happen with uh, batteries and lithium-ion batteries in particular. And we're going to see a huge drop in costs over the next few years. And that's going to enable a a whole new infrastructure of a combination of the solar and storage that's going to really start to to, to shift us away from the centralized grid infrastructure that we've got. Suvi, thank you for that. I am excited for the future that you paint for our industry. There are a couple more parts of Suncast, and so we're going to move into what I call lessons learned. So, Subi, as you reflect on your time at Solaria, what advice would you give yourself 12 years ago if you could go back in time? One of the first things is that whatever you forecast for how long it takes to commercialize a new technology and however much money you think, multiply it times two to four X. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, it, it really uh, takes a lot longer than one thinks. When, and solar, solar panels in particular, it's a 25-year product. So I learned a lot about through that, uh, the trials and tribulations. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, when we got into it, solar was very expensive and we focused cost reduction, how to reduce the cost of the product. Looking back, uh, you know, I, uh, I, what, we, what we do focus now on is actually not just simply reducing cost, but more what features or, or aspects of the product can we provide that other competing products products cannot in particular, you know, uh, competing against the Chinese. Because yeah. when, you're, when you're competing against the Chinese panel makers, they have tremendous amount of government support and assistance, yeah. you know, especially in terms of access to capital. Sure. Uh, and so that's what we're competing against. So we have to outmaneuver and outsmart, and we can do that through innovation. Uh, yeah. And so just really doing that, but doing, providing some uh, superior features in the product is very important. You know, there's lots of things I've learned in terms of management and hiring people, finding the right people. I think the, the thing that really fundamentally at a, at, a, at a big pick that I found is just really comes down to the quality of the people and great or, or uh, how great is a team that those people operate creates success or failure in companies. Could you tell me a person or an engagement that you've had over the last... 12 years that you just can't forget, it's just burned into your memory. Like some, something has happened in the course of Solaria blossoming into the company it is now. Uh, maybe it's an engineer. One thing that comes to mind is one of our investors in Solaria, very smart guy. And, he, and when this was when Solaria was uh, essentially restarting with our new focus right. and we had um, spun out Next Tracker and we were starting. And at that time, we, 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 we had to raise more funding again and we were not uh, as well capitalized as we are now. Uh, we had to uh, restart. He said, you know, one thing to me, which is that he said, I'd rather have a great CEO with no cash in the bank than a CEO that's not good with a billion dollars in the bank. That just reminded me again that, you know, it's really not 
about the, the balance sheet and the assets. Those are important. You build those over time. But again, it's the quality of the people. And you know, that's, that's when um, you know, you're asking me also what I'm excited about solar. I just keep thinking the quality of the people in the, this industry, a lot of them are just very, very good and, and they're passionate about it. And I think that's what's going to really create the change. But that's, that's something that, that burned in my, in my head. Can you give me an example of a time that you have failed at work and as a father? Wow, those are uh, tough questions. Well, I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you, uh, let me start with work. We commercialized a product that promised to be a lower cost product using less silicon cell materials. We did commercialize it, but it was too little too late. And we had scrapped that product. We basically had killed that product and mm-hmm. move on to other things. There was a lot of money that went into it, a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went into it, a lot of people's hard work. And, you know, that was very, very disappointing. That being said, you know, I knew that Actually, I decided personally to make that decision even before the investors because I felt like that was the right thing to do. But that uh, that I would that I would call as you know something that I felt quite bad about. Who did you consult with the day before you had to go and talk to investors? I talked. Uh, number one, I talked with some of the the um, couple of the core people uh, here the in the company. In, in particular, for example, my chief technology officer. Uh, who's been with me? I first person I hired when I came here, Kevin. He's just been a solid player here, um, real, um, and and we're also very you know close friends, as having worked together. And he's the one that you know really put a lot of his own blood, sweat, and tears to do it. But really talking with him, and you know, it's interesting. I, I've had these moments in 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 my life where you make those tough decisions. At first, people have a hard time accepting it because it's it seems how can you know we've spent so much time and energy and right. are we just throwing all that away? But I found that once you make the decision, all of a sudden it becomes clear that this was the right thing to do. And, you know, now, and as time goes on, that becomes even more clear. When you had that conversation with Kevin, did you have a clear vision of where you were headed? Not just that you were closing the chapter you had built with him. Well, I thought I did. Yeah. Uh, It's not necessarily exactly where we ended up. And that's, and that's not really, that's not really where I'm aiming, but as a CEO, how important is it when you do have to have that conversation, that it's not a conversation that this is the door closing, but rather here's the door going to open. That's very important. And it's why we kept staying here. I mean, we could have yeah. thrown in the towel and just said, you know, um, let's go home. We tried with the solar panel. We developed a great tracker product. Yeah. Let's call it a day with that. But yeah. but we knew that we, I really felt like we had something. And, you know, when you look back and why did I believe that? Yes, there were some data points, but at the end of the day, it's your gut. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you try to rely on that too. I mean, you can be analytical about it, but you have to read the signs and, and, and use your gut. But yeah, I definitely felt that there was something here. There was some nugget of real value here that we had to figure out. It was our job mm-hmm. to figure out how to take that and create something really great with it. Well, let's move to our final segment, which is called Learning, Leadership, and Legacy. And this is a short one, but it is an important one. I believe that leaders are readers, and I believe that a leader in a company, you have to stay ahead of the curve. So I love to know where you lean information that helps you stay sharp as a leader and also part and parcel to that what is on your nightstand what are you reading as a as a part of expanding your mind beyond just being the ceo of solaria there's really two types of things that i i read one is i read um you know every day i read what's going on in my industry current news i listen to the news or just online i'll you know i'll spend usually i begin my day by spending five ten minutes unless i have a call i have to get on my time and get to the office just seeing what's going on in the world but I don't spend too much time on it. So it's just, just you know, five to 10 minutes. That's, that's yeah. about all I can handle, actually. Yeah. Uh, but then I also look at all the industry news, what's going on, and just being aware of that. Do you that. have a place that you go for that? Specifically, uh, I go. You know, it it, it really um, it depends. Sometimes the Onion, which is like you know 
the best uh, source of like explaining what's going on, which is satirical. Um, uh, but more seriously, uh, it, it really ranges. Sometimes I look at uh, even just Google News. Uh, you know, I try I try to like cut all my cookies so I don't have things that just you know what what I clicked on before. So right. uh, I don't get that echo chamber, but just yeah. just news in the industry, the solar industry. There's all kinds of um, a PV tech on the tech side, the green tech media for general stuff. To you know, I get some. Uh, I try to get some feeds from various places in different parts of the world. You get different viewpoints. So yeah. I spend kind of five to 10 minutes on that every day, uh, even on the weekends, just kind of see what's going on. As far as what I read, I, I tend to read primarily nonfiction. And I, I like to read things that help me explain how the world works. Uh-huh. And what I mean by that is just in various ways. You know, right now I'm reading two books. Usually I just read one at a time and I don't get through them very quickly. Yeah. I'm reading a book called Silk Roads, which is yeah. um, kind of about the history of the world from a non-European perspective, which I find interesting. And another book called The Gene, uh, the Mukherjee, which is a really interesting, like both history of sort of how we arrived at what is the gene and, and what's going on in, in, in that. Nothing I work in, but... Yeah. It's just it's 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 interesting to to sort of see how the world works or what's going on outside of my you know general scope. Before we finish, I always ask, how can folks learn more about you and your mission? Is there a place that you are more active or or preferred in the reach out? LinkedIn, Twitter. I'm not much on social media. Not out of any other reason than I really doesn't. I don't have it much. Somehow I've not been able uh-huh. to really find a lot of use for it. Yeah. So so you know certainly I've done a few talks here and there that one can find yeah. on, on the web. I think, you know, looking at what Solaria is doing, that's a big part of, mm-hmm. of, uh, of my life. And then, uh, and then of course, listening to the Suncast podcast. There you go. There's, a, <laughs> there's, one, there's one great way that folks can get to know you that don't know you already. And is there anything that you're working on right now that we can help you with? Is there something the Sun, Suncast audience could do for you? If you're out there and you're installing solar panels, uh, working on solar, look us up, contact us, yeah. uh, work with us. We really really want to work with a ecosystem here of partners that we can... What's the best way that someone could reach out if they wanted to try out the Solaria product? Uh, the best way is actually going through our website there's at uh, www.solaria.com yeah. and, and there is an intake form and we actually, we, we go through that cool. uh, every week and yeah. we respond virtually everyone that... Uh, they have they have the smartest it. AI. Her name is Pamela. She will respond. I'm kidding. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> Well, Subi, let's end today with a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? I think basically solar is going to be much, much bigger than any of us envision Mm -hmm. um, on a much larger scale and ubiquitous in a way that um, it's going to become part of our lives Mm -hmm. in ways that we don't envision. It's going to be all around us. It's, it's, I mean, it's even going to go in clothes. It's going to go in everything, literally. And so I believe that much like things that pervade our lives, like cell phones, I mean, who would have thought 10, 15 years ago that everyone would be walking around with this thing or, you know, just never would have thought. And I think solar is going to do a similar thing. It's just going to get everywhere and ubiquitous Mm -hmm. in ways that we don't even imagine today where we've just got devices, buildings, cars, all that's producing energy uh, all around us. I think about how the grandparents of uh, my childhood complained about the Walkman and how that was ruining society because (laughs) teens were just walking around with Uh headphones on. uh And what they might think, what my grandparents, what your grandparents might think if they saw today's youth. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we have no way of being able to envision what a future looks like that is radically disrupted by the capacity of of solar technology. And when that happens, we'll be tracking it here on Suncast, and we'll invite you back to talk all about what we've seen take place. Suvi Sharma, CEO of Solaria Corporation. Thank you for taking the time to be with us again. Thank you, Nico. My pleasure. 
That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.